you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The Around the NFL podcast is placed high on the Dalton scale of podcast bozos. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by Head and Shoulders. My name is Dan Hansis and I am joined by a room filled with some heroes. Mark Sassler to my left and Greg Rosenthal to my right. Gentlemen, this is the week three flagship edition of the podcast. You excited? Of course, we're excited. Uh, what other emotion would be would be uh, you know permissible acceptable. at this point? <laughs> permissible? Well, that's fair. Must be excited about pro football at all times. I mean, it was it was a very memorable day, not just because of uh, you know the off the field stuff, which we're, we're going to talk about soon, but this was by far the best day of football absolutely. all season. There were great games. Not much to compare to, but it absolutely was twice as good as any other week so the far. The Thursday night game was great, and then at the end of the early games, uh, I was standing up at my desk with three TVs around me, all games hanging in the balance. A lot of fun. We kind of this was a good week. I would we, say literally the like the five best games of the year were this week: Rams, Forty ers the Falcons, Lions, Giants, Eagles was a lot of fun. Patriots, yeah. Texans, and desperately needed. And it's interesting that this this great uh, week of action uh, finally hit. And, and this morning before kickoff, the NFL was the biggest story in the country, but it had nothing to do. Uh, with the games that were going to be played, it was about the president, Donald Trump. And we, let's let's hit this before we get into the games because it is such a massive story uh, that the president of the United States is essentially taking on the NFL. And at a rally in Huntsville, Alabama on Friday night, uh, Trump urged team owners to cut players who uh, kneel during the national anthem, uh, actually using which – I would say this would go down in infamy for, for Trump, but there's so many of these things, you lose track of what actually is going to stick. But he said, get that son of a off the field in reference to players that didn't kneel. Um, he then doubled down on these comments with several tweets, uh, again saying that, uh, you know, basically to boycott the NFL, that will get these guys to respect the flag in America and so on and so forth. And uh, that led, of course, now to players reacting in a, a you know, in a very – emotional way and in a way that that shows it almost kind of brought 
the the league itself closer. Uh, people rallying against what Trump had to say, and we, the day started in London, of course. Shad Khan down on the field with his players, various players from. Um, the Jaguars and Ravens um, kneeling for the anthem. Uh, we saw o- owners across the, the league on the field locking arms. Think how far this has come now. Now owners are down on the field doing it. And then the Seahawks and Titans, Greg, a perfect example. Neither team either even came out for the national anthem with the Seahawks announced, uh, releasing a, a stern statement on the situation. Uh, it is a huge, huge national story. It's unprecedented times. I mean, before we even got to Sunday, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, you know, released a statement talking about Trump's words that was quickly followed by many teams owners releasing statements, some stronger than others. And, you know, Patriots owner Robert Kraft, where there was 11 players on the field for the Patriots who kneeled today. He released a strong statement about being deeply disappointed. And Trump was asked about those comments from Kraft today at a press briefing. We have Chris Collinsworth leading off Sunday Night Football asking the president to apologize to these players. We've been in unprecedented times in this country for a while now, and and it's now come even stronger into football. But it's it's been here the whole time. We just haven't talked about it. Been here the whole time. And, you know, I think no matter who you are, if you're in a position of power and you're going to make essentially a blanket statement about everyone who plays, coaches, owns, and is part of an NFL team, you need to expect a pretty violent reaction and that's exactly what happened I think this is this is you have to put nuance with this situation I don't like when I hear that if you kneel or if you don't come out of the locker room for the anthem that you're obviously anti-military it is much more about pro freedom of speech and pro rights of people that don't feel and they support and they are with other people that don't feel those rights are given to them in this country I think everybody's entitled to their opinion on it I thought again it was a reckless use of power by the president and and that's just my personal opinion other people can think otherwise but like to make a statement like that I mean everyone has an opinion about this this is why Colin Kaepernick still doesn't have a job Uh, and now the story uh, has taken gone to the next level and you don't know where this is going because now the president of the United States is involved. Oh my goodness. I, I well I really thought a lot about Kaepernick this weekend and last night and wondered what he was thinking watching all of this and it and it gets back a little bit to how effective I I think he ultimately has been and was was from the moment it started and it's playing out even more. You know, today Donald Trump said this has nothing to do with race. That was his quote. And it's always awkward. Three white guys talking about race, but this was Colin Kaepernick standing up against racial oppression, against racial inequities, which have really defined, you know, much of what's wrong with this country for a long time. And it's amazing to think now a year later, this has only grown to the point where now the president is addressing it on a weekend where, there's a lot else going on in this country. He is tweeting about the NFL and, and NBA players, too, more than anything else. And it, it almost makes you feel that Colin Kaepernick's words have even more weight to them now because everything that he was standing up for and Michael Bennett and lots of other players are standing up for and they protested today, that's being played out. Like, they are being proven right. Right, like, and I don't... What, I, what bothers me is when you take the whole group of players in the NFL and try to vilify those who protest for very different reasons in some cases. These guys have one day off, and it's Tuesday. And it's not every player in the league, but there are at least 
15 to 20 guys every Tuesday for their team that are out in the community doing more than most people that watch football will do over the course of 20 years for the people, for the towns they live in and the people in that town that are not doing so well. And so I, Kaepernick is one of those people too. And people glance right past that issue that he is a, has done a lot of philanthropy and so have many other NFL players. It, it's going to be a weekend in the NFL that I think will be remembered. It's one of those moments, and there, there's been more of those lately, but for the NFL's purposes, a moment where you know 10, 20 years from now we're going to remember this this Sunday. This is Yeah, it's a major situation in this country, and the NFL is right in the middle of it. Uh, all right, so we'll track that story as it continues to develop throughout the weeks and perhaps months. All right, let's now get into week three of the NFL, all the events of Sunday, and we'll start, why not, on the throne of ease. Here's the shotgun snap to Brady, who pumps, lobs, looking deep down the far left side, open target, end zone, touchdown! Brandon Cooks, Brady on his backside after heaving to the left corner of the end zone, and Cooks corrals it for second score of the game. How do they do it, John? How do they do it? They got the greatest quarterback that's ever lived. I'll go on record with saying that. Ooh, what brave. poise, what confidence, what a remarkable throw <laughs> against this dynamic pass rush. And Brandon Cooks has become the receiver the Patriots traded to get him for. How has he changed this team? At a time where, yeah, freedom and uh, freedom of speech and freedom of, of expression has never been more important in this country. You have that dude saying Tom Brady's the best. Well, he is. Let's face it. But uh, Tom Brady threw five touchdown passes, including that 25-yard hookup with Brandon Cooks. 23 seconds to play. The Patriots rallied to beat the Houston Texans 36-33 in Foxborough in a game that is not the script any of us thought the game would follow, but it does end how we all expected with the Patriots winning once more. Greg, uh, once again, we saw an opponent fail repeatedly to close out the Patriots, and let's be honest, with basic execution. Recover a fumble, hold on to an interception, cover properly uh, on, on, on that scoring play uh, with your safety and your cornerback. And you know what? You don't do those things against the Pats. Tom Brady's going to kill you, and he did it again. It It's crazy. He just keeps adding scenarios that normally would be the most memorable comeback in anyone's career, but Brady's done it so many different ways. But just think about how their offense finished out the game. Third and 18 on the Patriots' 48-yard line with 54 seconds left. Two plays later, they're in the end zone. I mean, that just doesn't happen against a great defense. Maybe that's overstating it. They're missing you know, some cornerbacks right now. But the pass rush was all over Tom Brady. Three strip sacks, five sacks. He's going to wake up really sore after this game. But this, no, he won't. Despite no, he'll all... be fine. <laughs> well, I know he's got, you know, he's got the... The diet, but uh, vitamin water. He's gonna wake up. He's he gonna wake up sore. water with it so he doesn't get sunburned. And he comes up with it. And the the Patriots fans are so spoiled. It's ridiculous. Well, well yeah, from, from the flip side, I would say that, that if you're a Texans fan, in you know in multiple multiple dimensions, they probably lost this game tw- by 25 points. In this one, 36-33, they really I think played a a, a pretty good game. Where Deshaun Watson. What a sign of what an encouraging you know development from that Thursday night game against the Bengals. Yeah, some really good throws he, in this game. I mean, game. we all talked about it. The numbers backed up the idea of a rookie going into New England and getting completely butchered. And what all he did was go in there and show no fear, just like as shaky as he was at times, even in the win against Cincinnati. He never showed any fear. I didn't think, and he got more confident as the game went along. So you're feeling good about um, where he is and his development early on. Uh, and yeah. 
that that's the positive takeaway. But the other side of it is you got to close out the game. And we'll see this will come up repeatedly this week in a lot of games is when you have a chance to put a team away in the NFL. And these games when your record winning eight, nine, ten games will define your season. The Houston Texans got to win this game. Well, and, it, and it's a complete team victory for the Patriots because even though they gave up all those points, you know, some of that was on Jadavian Clowney's, you know, return. Some of it is on situations where the Patriots offense put the defense in bad scenarios. And the Houston Texans have a second and three with 241 to go. You pick up a first down, the game is over. Patriots give up two yards. It's third and one. They bring in a goal line offense. Uh, goal line defense, Bill O'Brien does not choose to do a play action or do anything but run the ball up the middle. The Patriots stuff it, and then they it's Gronk and Brady picking up you, third downs. You know this loss, as, as they all do, Greg, but this loss annoyed me downstairs. <laughs> and a lot of the thing is, and I take nothing away from the Patriots, but I, I have to say, whether you're talking their last two Super Bowl wins, this game, I'm sure you could. there are a couple other examples. A little bit of luck involved here. These teams. Well, the strip sack, especially they strip sack Tom Brady. There is no clutchness factor of the Patriots center picking up that sack on the last drive. The game's over at that point. That's uh, some of these victories. It's almost like kismet and and give the Patriots credit, but these teams should be winning these games. Well, Win a ball game when you got a stop like that. It's total consistency. Tom Brady has been with his team. You can change the players around him, but Brady has been in New England in this situation a million times. Every time Houston rolls in, they got a different quarterback starting from scratch. You need to get Deshaun Watson in his third, fourth, fifth, sixth start against the Patriots. But make a play is what I'm saying. Just make a play to close out a game. Any of these teams, these are not like miracle plays they need to make. It's converting a first down or getting off the field on third and 18. It just never seems. to I mean, the catches by Amendola and Cooks were were pretty incredible. They, They were great. And the one last thing. Teams are daring Tom Brady to throw down the field in the last two weeks. He has filleted the two offense. He had nine passes today that traveled 15 yards or more. He has been a vertical receiver, and it's working. It's a long. We are a long way off from that Thursday uh, against Kansas City. Brady, once again, is up there in the MVP. One last thing, though, Dan. If you want encouragement, if you're looking for New England to implode at some point, I still am concerned about their defense. Oh, yeah, sure. And I Brady agree. took a beating, so – they gave up 400 well, yards. I don't know if you should be celebrating that. Maybe you Why are. Not? Well, maybe you should. I don't know. This is a team that, that's <laughs> figuring things out. They're winning along the way, but they just gave up 400 yards to a rookie quarterback. Yeah. No, there are some things Fair. to hang my hat on. But, again, another annoying day. Let's move on. Mariota gives it to Murray. Running to the left. He's got room to the 30. 35-40. 45-50. 45-40. He cuts back to the middle. 35-30. 25-20. 15 10 5 It's Like it, Mike Keith, WGFX. DeMarco Murray's long touchdown acted as a cherry on top for the Tennessee Titans, who scored 21 straight points against the Seahawks en route to a 33-27 win in Nashville. Marcus Mariota threw for 225 yards and two touchdowns. And Mark, the Seahawks once again looked lethargic against an upper-tier opponent. The Titans looked like they were for real. Very weird game. It, it, it opened with 10 combined three and outs for these two teams in the first half. And it looked like it was going to be another one of these 12 to nine type operations where by the end you're just, you have fellow coworkers propping you up in your chair to stay awake. And then the second half happened (laughs) and it completely altered. It changed. DeMarco Murray after the break, very explosive. Derrick Henry finally got involved at the end. You know, everyone thought Derrick Henry was going to lead the way here. And I was surprised to see 
Murray get the workload he did, but we just heard the call. He paid off there. I thought Marcus Mariota played the best game of the season mm. and one of his best games ever. And you can look at Russell Wilson's box score, career-high 373 yards. Almost all of that came in the end first half and in the entire second half when Russell Wilson is running around for his life. They have no foundational ground game. And these yards, yes, he threw a lot of big chunk gains, and they made, made big plays through the air. Doug Baldwin, who left with a groin strain, and we're waiting for more on that, mm. was absolutely heroic tonight. But I'm, I, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I look at this effort, and I'm concerned about this offense because you sh- Russell Wilson shouldn't have had to do what he did with the way that we know Seattle's attack. And suddenly you have to think that there's leaks springing up because the defense – had a very lackluster game, and that's what we don't expect to see out of Seattle. On 32 dropbacks for Marcus Mariota, Pro Football Focus has two pressures. Not not just sacks. There's no QB hits, no sacks. I think they might have uh, served up a Golston, which uh, for new listeners is a no-sack, no-QB hit performance by an entire team named after one of Dan's favorite yes. players of all time. That That's a credit to the Titans' offensive line and uh, a bad sign that the, the Seahawks got pushed around. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Tennessee's kind of approach, no line in general, has not been quite as impressive as they were at their heights last year. But they wound up with 196 rushing yards, and that was legit. They were they were really t- – Seattle looked tired out by the end. Seattle gave up that after giving up 159 on the ground last year. Mm. So you, Last week. So you get Sheldon Richardson in there, and yet nothing seems to be as dominant about this front seven. That's, that's when, if you're a Seahawks fan, you're troubled because this game – they started slow, like Mark said. Then they scored back-to-back touchdowns. They're up 14-9 with 10 minutes to play uh, in the third quarter. And Seahawks teams of old, maybe they get a defensive score, and they kick a couple field goals, uh, and they're on their way to a 24-17 win or something. But in this case, they give up then three straight touchdowns. And it's like, whoa, what happened to this special defense making one last run together? Sheldon Richardson now on the line. What happened to all of that? And the t- it just seems like the team is suffering from a little bit of a crisis in confidence, perhaps. It doesn't have any mojo, and you're seeing it on the field against a good Titans team. And I'll say it, eh, Titans. Oh, yeah, they proved it. Yeah. I did it. I get, Listen, I wasn't even a high bar. It's like Seattle's a struggling NFC power, but – you know, they did a That's nice job. That's a high job. bar beating they Seattle. They did a nice job in Seattle. Well, the look on Mike but. Malarkey's face at the end when they when he realized it was finally going in his favor, he, I think he thought this was a big opponent to beat. One last thing, Richard Sherman had three penalties on one play in this thing. Yeah. It was, there was some crazy stuff going on. There was another play where a fight broke out after after he hit Marcus Mariota with clear helmet-to-helmet Big scuffle. I was surprised he didn't get booted there. Well, I thought he came very yeah. close, but it was not. That's not actually a personal foul. And how can you get three penalties in one play? He got called for defensive pass interference. He got called. Wait. The pass was intercepted. Yeah. And then he got called for offensive holding uh, for holding while Cam Chancellor was trying to make a run back. And then he ripped his helmet off and was yelling at the refs, and they threw the flag for unsportsmanlike like conduct. The, the opposite of a hat trick if you're a, C- if a Seahawks fan. What a hat trick it was. Uh, let's move on with another great NFC game. Looks, going to throw, and it's caught. It is a touchdown for Golden Tate. And it was the slant arch from the left. After reviewing the play, the ruling on the field is changed. The runner was, was touched down at the half a yard line. He was short of the goal line. By rule, we would go back to a running clock, and we have a 10-second runoff. So by rule, the game is over. Well, 
you don't think this isn't going to stir some stuff up? <laughs> How about that? That was uh, West Durham, uh, WZGC. Uh that is not how that game was supposed to end. I I understand the rules that are in place. They got the call right, but that is very frustrating. And and if if you didn't see the game, you had Golden Tate, what looked like the game-winning touchdown. They were down 30-26 in the last minute. He gets knocked down at the goal line. It looked like a ball crossed over, uh, but it didn't. And when they did the, ch- it wasn't challenged by any. It was the official review, and they ruled that he didn't get in, which was the right call. But there's something wrong with that. Mark, the idea that they're they're not giving the team a chance to end the game. It's not the team against the team on the last play. I just don't like that rule, and I wish it would be amended in the future. I mean, it's rough optics to have a game end the way it did because if you're in the stands and you and you heard the reaction and you're, right. you got half of these Lions fans piling out of the stadium, they have no idea what actually just happened, and they certainly don't agree with it. The call is technically right, but it's the most frustrating way for a game to end. It's a tough rule, but I don't think it's one where there's an easy solution, and I don't want to get bogged down in this, but you can come up with scenarios where it's completely unfair to the defense if you don't have the 10-second runoff. So I, I don't know. Well, they, they actually, right. this, was a, this was an addition to the rule book essentially because of plays that ended games that infuriated fans in the opposite direction. But Okay, I get that. But what you're doing there, then you're making the assumption that Detroit would not have been able to, to stop the clock and that, that's not their fault either because they never got no, the No, it wasn't their fault. They, they had bad luck there. They also might not have gotten that, that playoff. And from the sound of it, you thought that they, this was really about them stealing the game if they had won it, that for the most part, the Falcons looked like the better team. The, Fal- the Falcons are kind of weird this season because obviously they had a record-breaking type offense last season. And for most of this game, it was the same exact situation. They moved the ball at will. Uh, their punter didn't even sniff the field. Uh, for most of the game, and they just got killed. Uh, Matt Ryan threw three interceptions. Uh, I want to say upon watching the game the first time, two weren't his fault. Maybe all three, I'd have to check it out again. But he didn't have a bad game. Three picks is misleading. Um, and and what Detroit did, they hung around. They got a pick six, which they kept them in the game in the first half. They kept on inching closer and closer. And then what Detroit does, and I know a lot of people say, you know, these game-winning touchdown drives by Matt Stafford, it's a little bit of a – a stat that's a little phony on some level, but he did it again. It was it was not a pretty drive. There were flags all over the field, but he let him down the field again. And just to have that touchdown or near touchdown wiped away to end the game, uh, Atlanta escaped with a win even though they played better. It was a very strange game. There, this has not been a season of close games until this Sunday, but the Falcons are a great example of how crazy the NFL can change. They can easily be one and two. Two right. plays ended on the last play – through nothing the Falcons did right. A drop pass by Jordan Howard, and then this coming up a half an inch short of winning the game. Well, that said, they're hanging in. I, I, I realize the offense is probably not going to reach the heights of last year, and that's hard to ask a team statistically to do that two years in a row. Steve Sarkeesian's done a nice job overall, though, and I, I'm Looks encouraged. like one of the best offenses in the league. Right. Still. I'm very encouraged by the fact that Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, in a league where you cannot really count on running backs from one le- from one year to the next, still look very dangerous. Devonta Freeman, Freeman was fascinating today. He looked uh, great. on uh, Some of those runs were just excellent. He's a guy that it looks like he's worth the money. I know some people said maybe he wasn't, but... Uh, not in this room, baby. Yeah. We love him. So 3-0 and the Falcons are, and that's... A good place to be, but you're, Greg's right. They could be one and two. So maybe, maybe after the, the Super Bowl 51 devastation, karma's on their side. Well, they now play the like entire that. AFC East with their bye week squeezed in. 
Hmm. Really? In a row? Yeah. Bills by Dolphins, Patriots by, also known as the Jets. Let's. Uh, well, don't be so sure. You're right. Don't be so sure. We'll get to it in a little bit. Let's move on to another NFC matchup. Pass right. Caught Diggs at the 40. Space to the 30. And it moves. 10 5. <laughs> touchdown. 59 yard touchdown. Keenum to Stephon Diggs. Paul Allen, K. FX and Case Keenum went nuts in his second straight start in place of Sam Bradford, passing for three touchdowns, a career best 369 yards, no turnovers. Come on. Leading the. <laughs> I mean, figure out this Come week. On. This was a, a crazy week, started with a crazy presidential talk, and then all the games were crazy. What's going on in this universe? Anyway, a 34 17 win for the Vikings, an easy win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Minneapolis. Greg, the Bucks crashed to earth after their big debut last week, and the Vikings again showed how dangerous they can be when everything's clicking, even with Case Keenum. I mean, you you said it this week. You know, it's been a lot of talk about you know respecting the flag. Look, these protests were not about respecting the flag. It has nothing to do with that. One flag I respect. Right. You don't know where Let's this is there. going. Right. One flag I respect, and I'm bringing it back out, was Chris Wesseling's freak flag for Case Keenum. <laughs> this was the best performance I've ever seen. Out Wes of doesn't even want you bringing that out. Of that I, right. I, I mean, this is after you know roughly 17 terrible Case yes. Keenum appearances. That's true. Fair enough. This is back in 2013 when he, when Wes or 2014 liked the cut of Keenum's jib, and it was a, a flashback to that. His first half was sensational, 220-plus yards. He ends up with 369 and three touchdowns. And these were nice. some pretty vertical throws. And he's obviously benefiting from what we saw in week one, which is Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are about as dynamic as it gets right now for a receiving combination. They have to be up there with any tandem in the league, and they were making incredible plays on the ball, so they deserve a lot of credit, and Keenum deserves it for serving it up to those guys. And a Bucks defense, which they've been feisty. They've been getting to the quarterback over the last, you know, going stretching back to last season, zero sacks on Keenum. And this is an offense that a year Great ago protection. was so stuck in the mud. It started with their line, Adrian Peterson, dealing with injuries. They had nothing behind him, and Stefan Diggs got hurt. Now you're looking at Dalvin Cook, Diggs, Thielen, and if you get Bradford back next week, you have a legitimate cast of weapons on offense to go with one of the NFC's best defenses. And if you don't, like, can you keep this season afloat until he's back? Let's say he's back two, three, four weeks. Keaton, if he can get wins at home, if you can really dominate a team like the Buccaneers, uh, the the Vikings defense is obviously great. Dalvin Cook looked great again. You know, maybe they can k- just keep winning enough games with Keenan for when Bradford. All I would say though is that as random and bizarre as his performance was today, you've got the Lions, Bears, and Packers next that we have no idea we're going to get from Keenan. Right, this right. Is, this is just. Where, but the rest of the team is be, the rest of the team is good, and the home field advantage. And you talked yeah. about it, Dan. Yeah. Uh, I, I think is real. I think I think it's a great place to play at home. Uh, Case Keenum, eight times out of ten, maybe nine, is going to be the guy last week. They got this version of him, and that's nice because it gave him a win, and they had the ball for almost 38 minutes in this game. And that next week, Vikings-Lions becomes one of the first divisional showdowns in the NFC with a lot riding on it. Hubba, hubba. Uh, Let's move on to a little inter-conference football. I'm not going down this road again. Needs to get to the 31 for a first. They got him off sides. Down the field. He's open. Wide open. Allison cuts back. They got him another move. He's got Jones in front of him. He gets past him, and he's down to the six. Whoa. Love that CBS call. Tony Romo and um, 
Jim Nance with the call. Aaron Rodgers, 72-yard pass to Geronimo Allison in overtime, set up Mason Crosby's 27-yard field goals. The Green Bay Packers rallied to beat the Cincinnati Bengals 27-24 at Lambeau. Uh, oh, what a killer loss for Cincinnati. They had a 21-7 lead in the first half. They had a pick six of Aaron Rodgers. I believe it was the first pick six Aaron Rodgers has ever had in his career. Uh, but all the issues that have driven Cincinnati fans crazy since the first weekend of September popped up again. Their offense went into a shell in the second half, and it opened the door for Rodgers, and he did the rest. Um, and now the Bengals guys are 0-3. And especially, I'm not saying their, their season's over because the, you know who knows what's going on with the AFC North right now. Every other team lost in the division. This would have been a great job to get a win here, get back in the division, and feel good about yourself. Instead, a potentially season-crushing loss. Just oh, you can't. You got again. You gotta close out these type of games. I think we felt, and we were saying this to each other, that even when it was twenty-one to seven and everything, it looked like it was going right for Cincinnati. You could just feel the tide slowly turning. I will say this about Bill Lazor, the new OC, that he clearly went out of his way. <laughs> That's right. Sounds like four dead, but apparently, hopefully, those people are alive. But yeah, you know, AJ Green, he schemed to get him heavily involved after AJ Green was furious after that Thursday night loss. And in the backfield, I do think Cincinnati, if they're going to come get back into this thing, it's going to be on the shoulders of Joe Mixon, who almost doubled the touches out of the backfield of Bernard and Jeremy Hill today. So he's got a, enough with the training wheels. This guy is your running it, back. Here's the takeaway for me for this game because I watch this game closely. This loss was on Andy Dalton, and I know it's easy to pile on against Andy Dalton right now, but they lost this game because Andy Dalton didn't execute on several possessions in the second half that would have iced this game. Uh, Tony Romo, who again did a great job. Uh, we don't have to do this every week, explaining how great Romo's doing in his job, but there was one uh, drive where, um, where Green Bay stacked the box on first down. This is late in the game uh, and hanging in the balance, and, and Dalton didn't check out of the play. Uh, and then on third down, a crucial third down, uh, Brandon LaFell crossed wide open right in front of Andy Dalton, who felt pressure prematurely and then didn't just never even targeted LaFell. That was a killer. He missed a deep throw uh, also in this game. Uh, I mean, this Andy Dalton needs to play better to r- help his team in a spot like this, and he just didn't have it. Well, just, this, did you make a switch at some point? Three, and a, a three and out in the first possession of overtime, the one that the coin toss, nothing. I don't know. I think they would give him a longer rope, but what what Romo noticed is really consistent with what people who have been watching the tape say about Dalton in these first games that he's not seeing the field, that he's he's seeing ghosts, he's not seeing what's there in front of him, which you wouldn't expect out of a veteran quarterback, but but it's happening right. He now. has absolutely regressed uh and and it's killing them. So yeah, I think it's certainly possible, especially now, and I don't know who they have next, but if if they ever fell into an 0 and 4 hole, I don't see why they wouldn't pull the trigger to just to try to salvage the season and, and breathe some life into the team because it has to be frustrating playing with Dalton right now. Uh, and They have uh, the Browns next. That may not be – Well, that, I don't know. That, that's a get-healthy game, but we'll see. Uh, and then the other thing I'll say is Aaron Rodgers, the game they were down 24-17 late. Uh, again, Aaron Rodgers, he fit a ball into a tiny window to Jordy Nelson to tie the game uh, late that only – Aaron Rodgers makes it. And I love how self-aware he is after the game. He was asked by Tracy Wolfson about, you know, his overtime record. And, and he even threw at, the, you know, the fourth quarter comebacks he's been 
you know, dings for not really having fourth quarter comebacks. And here he gets his fourth quarter comeback. Here he gets off this random 0-7 overtime schneid. And he knew he knew all about it. Like, he, he was like, he's like, all right, got, the, got those off my back. I mean, for all the weird stuff that happened today, some things were very normal. Josh Jones, by the way, quickly, they really looked like they found something in, in the Packers' safety. That, that could be a big addition. He was making a lot of plays. If, he, if he's consistent. Uh, let's move on. Breeze out of the shotgun, looks right. Can't find anybody. Now he's going to throw it deep down the middle for Ted Ginn at the goal line. The former Panther touchdown Saints. Jim Anderson, WWL. Drew Brees had no problem dissecting the NFL's top-ranked defense, throwing for 220 yards and three touchdowns as the Saints whipped up on the Panthers 34-13 in Charlotte. Go figure. Mark, credit where credit is due. The Saints couldn't have looked more out of sorts in the first two weeks, but they steadied the ship with this impressive road performance. Credit where credit is due. Someone in the studio named Mark Sessler picked this on the Pick'em Show. Wow, go Very third, confidently. Go, go in wow. third person. Is that but, the first Mark Sessler third person, Ref? I think so. It's also the first correct Mark Sessler prediction of the season. So congrats on <laughs> Absolutely that. Absolutely incorrect. I also picked the Broncos over the Raiders with you two giggling at me. So your record, your record keeping is off. I mean, this is the game. This is the game that I think Cam Newton. The quiet storm. Concerned about Cam Newton having this game all season. It, 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 it's, it looks like the floor fell out finally this morning for him. And I guess the upside is maybe you look at Christian McCaffrey really had a major role in this offense today, but they, this is the Panthers team that I am be concerned about. Well, the shocking part is that the Saints offensive line primarily and the Saints offense as a whole really had their way with a defense that I was talking up as one of the best in the league and looked as good as anyone. And the Saints, not on turf, on the road, in a huge spot, because otherwise you're 0-3 and you're heading over to London next week. You're done. It it feels very done with two three and O teams in your division. The Falcons still are three and O, but that's a major win for a team just trying to stay relevant. That they come out there and Drew Brees has been overall pretty sharp this season. I think the problems have been really around him, and that they held off Carolina and really did what they wanted of him. This was such an impressive win for the Saints, and we've given the Saints a ton of grief this season about how they started and generally the direction of that organization in the last three or four years has just kind of been meandering along as a middling unit. And perhaps they'll lay another egg next week. and We'll be right back in that position. But for now, that's a big win. And as we were talking up the Panthers as a potential big time NFC bounce back, um, you know, superpower this season, Mark, and maybe, and maybe this is the sign of bigger problems for them. We'll see. Um, but Give credit to the Saints. It's one game. It's a division game between coaches and teams that know each other. I do think right. that really matters. Like when you look at the Jets Dolphins that's coming up and in different surprising games, Texans Patriots who might as well be in the same division because they play once or twice every year. It's like I think that does make a, a big difference. I mean, now Carolina has to go into New England next week. I just the, you look at their schedule, you look at the whole overall thing, Cam Newton's health, the kind when your quarterback is is not fully there. It's the kind of thing where you read stories in April and May where he's acknowledging, <laughs> I was never really, you know, I winning know. all last season. I'm surprised because last week I was pretty impressed by the fastball and overall how he played for most of that game despite mm. the score. His arm looked fine. I agree with you on that. I, it just, it's not all there yet. One thing in that game, there was a scary looking injury for Kelvin Benjamin. It uh, looks like NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport said that he was told, in quotes, he, he looks fine. 
don't know. Okay. With the incentives, while we'll see. While we're updating injuries, I'm going to throw in yeah, one. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Levante David, it's been announced, has a high ankle sprain oh. by our guy, uh, Ian Rappaport. So that really outlines it was a brutal day for the Bucks, who are missing Brent Grimes, also lost Noah Spence to an injury. So that Bucks defense and really team as a whole had a brutal day. Ouch. That's You, you have no idea how long they'll be without David, who's one of the key members of that defense. Um, by the way, before we move on to the next game, I just want to uh, – you know, I get excited about things. Some things are about football. Some things aren't about football. Some things are about the best damn show on television. What's the plan? Save the world. It sounds like a suicide mission. What was that? I accidentally made Russia declare war on Norway. You gotta be kidding me. Scorpion. New season begins CBS September 25th. Brilliant. Yes. Scorpion's back tomorrow. That operative sounds a little bit in over her head. How did you get another country? Wait, that was I mean, that was the season. The premiere. You can't make these these up. They really don't sound real. And I will one day. You know, I will catch up. I will do a little binge watch, maybe in the off season. Uh, but this episode, uh, that's such a great sell about the Russian Norway thing. Very timely. I might even plug in on that. Like, watch it real time. Commercials and everything. I mean, you should I mean, wh- take a sabbatical. Maybe take a couple weeks off from you know your work here. I mean, wait, what did Norway ever do to anyone? I don't know. That's like one of That's the happiest, was- nicest places on earth. That's why it was a mistake, according to this female. Wait, um, <laughs> Loose Cannon, have you seen an episode of CBS's Scorpion? I have not. <sighs> I thought maybe we were going to get one. Yeah, sorry. Do you, is there any? All right. <laughs> I want to know what your your television programming watching is in general. What's your favorite show? Jeez, oh, favorite show. Let me come back to me. Would be director. Spot. She's got a long list of. I have shows. a huge list, so I, you can't even, you know. All right. Well, you under pressure, you kind of crack. The big young, yeah. She's back. a big young Sheldon fan. I know that. You're a big Marty Scorsese fan. I know <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, love, love him. Okay, here we go. Moving on. Let's check in with the New York football team, starting with the Z-Man. Are we expecting this one? No. Yeah, but it's 61 yards. Hold your breath. Hmm. <laughs> Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's good! <laughs> and the Eagles win! <laughs> this is that dream I talked about. They win! He's had this dream before. 61 yards! The longest kick in Eagles history. Wow, let's clip that one off. I think that should be at least in the discussion for the top 10 radio calls of 2017. Merrill Reese, W.Y., SP Jake Elliott kicked a 61-yard field goal as the clock expired to lift the Philadelphia Eagles to a 27-24 victory over the New York Giants at the link. Uh, Again, another killer loss for a team that needed a win and couldn't close out a game. Elliott's dramatic heroes dropped the Giants to 0-3, put the Eagles atop the NFC East to 2-1, 2-1 for the time being. And Greg, uh, it looked for a while like Big Blue had had their season-saving win in hand and they just couldn't figure it out. This game was awesome. It it reminds me of the old uh, Stefan skit on SNL. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like this this game had everything: comebacks, <laughs> blown fourth downs, injuries, shanked punts, rookie kickers, you know, bear traps. Ev- everything <laughs> bear was it? But like you can watch this game. It's got a little bit of like everything. Right. Yeah. You know, Indoor snowstorms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the Philadelphia's hottest club is the link. No, uh, 
it was crazy to watch, but ult- my biggest takeaway, and it was hard in this sort of game, was to give Carson Wentz and the Eagles' offense a little credit on a bad day against a good defense overall. The last three times they got the ball, they needed to score. They're trailing 21-14. They have their best drive of the day, and they go score a touchdown. They need to kick a field goal to tie it late. He pulls it off, and then to set up that game-winning field goal, plays that which is going to get overlooked. Carson Wentz, 19 yards, very tough throw to Alshon Jeffrey, who fights for it, gets out of bounds with one second left. That was the longest play passing by far from Wentz all day. Mm. So it was not a great day for Wentz, but ultimately they got it done when it really mattered. If you're looking at it from the Giants' sideline, Eli Manning, 47 passes, 366 yards, some clutch throws, down the stretch. Is there anything to take away from this that says that New York's offense, which was utterly broken over the first two weeks, has any ray of hope, or was this a mirage? You have to, people may not realize they were shut out again for three quarters right. in this game. And then Beckham uh, and Eli got hot, two straight touchdowns uh, in three minutes. And then when I thought, again, this has been a very strange week in the NFL, when Eli throws what I thought was a beautiful pass to Sterling Shepard, who then took it the distance, 77 yards, they're up 21-14 with 7-12 to play. Uh, with their season on the line. They just stunned the Eagles. One touchdown in 29 possessions, and then they scored three in five minutes. I've been watching football for 30 years, and I've seen a lot of teams like these these Giants teams that are maybe not terrible teams, but they're in a terrible way. In those, in those situations, they almost always then close out the game, but they didn't do it. The defense couldn't get the stop, and, and then with a bad punt, uh, and then unable Alshon Jeffrey with a big catch. The give- Brad Wing is kind of the goat because he shanked a punt. The game is basically going to OT if he exactly. doesn't have that punt. And it did remind me of one of the things that I've always uh, – I feel like it's not just me personally. I think a lot of people relate to this. When the kicker or punter does something to kill your team, whether it's a missed kick or a shank or a stupid personal foul, and then they cut him on the sideline and their helmet comes off, and they, they look – ridiculous for some reason like in Brad Wing's case he has big bleached like Justin Bieber hair or like Matt Prater with his Matt Prater's having a great season by the way but you know I don't like your uh, friend got Matt Prater problems uh Matt Prater's earring dangling like I don't like that or 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 Mike Vanderjack back in the day with his like bleached uh tips and stuff you don't want the camera cutting over to your kicker slash punter after he blows the game for you and then he's looking like that I don't know what I. No, you're right. That's it's a fascinating <laughs> rant. It's it's totally it's totally fair and so frustrating for the. Be Giants. more conservative, guys. They're now zero. Uh, they're now zero and two in the division, and the Eagles are two and zero in the division. And this is a great case of the Eagles managing the schedule because I know it was the the Giants and they had them shut out through three weeks. But in a lot of ways, this is a game the Eagles should have lost. They were missing four players in their secondary going into the game, essentially all of them starters. And then in the game, they lost Fletcher Cox and Jordan. Hicks, maybe the players who are playing as well as anyone on their defense, and Darren Sproles. So they are down six starters in, on defense, and Sproles gets hurt, and things aren't going right, and they find a way to win, and they did it, surprisingly, by running the ball down the throats of the Giants. They had a 17-play drive with 13 runs. They ran for 193 yards. LeGarrette Blunt ran really well. Wendell Smallwood ran really well. Clement, Clement had a random touchdown out of nowhere. Like, a very good thing. So they won winning in a different sort of Eagles the way. Giants, 17 carries for 49 yards. Right. Uh, and one last thing before we move on. Um, where do you guys come down on 
Eli Manning's um, first touchdown of the season. He gets down on all fours like a dog. Uh, Odell Beckham. I, I should have said that should have been in the Stefan thing. <laughs> yeah, that was a missed opportunity. A, a man <laughs> pretending to be a dog pissing yeah. on the end zone. Would have right. been more interesting had it been Eli Manning doing yeah, that. Odell Beckham, expected from Beckham, of course, in the end zone, then pees on the uh, Eagles end zone. Are we pro or kind no? Of, uh, you know what? Yay or nay? I'm a nay. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the last guy to pick on celebrations. But peeing and getting a penalty, you don't, you don't, want, you don't want the peeing penalty. Is it that funny? Is it that I just The original? funniest part is he scored three minutes later in game time, and then his second celebration was put the fist up to make a social statement. But it's just so funny that he was like, all right, if I score the first time, I'm going to pretend to be a dog and pee on the end zone. Score second time. That's when I'm going to take my stand. And what? what it's, yeah, it's an odd, uh, it's an odd mental <laughs> what would decision. It, what would have been the third time? We'll I don't know. know. Yeah, the <laughs> third time, like I, you know, the, it, it should be mentioned. He did kind of look like the old Odell in the second half of that game, showing some juice. And yep. that, and those two touchdown catches were outrageous. The second one is one of the all-time great Odell Beckham catches. It'll get lost, but just if you think about the angle and the hand and how he had to take that thing down. It was impossible. I mean, he was doing Odo back. And extra frustrating because it's for a team that's completely lost at sea on offense is not going to get saved this season. Only mm. Aaron Rodgers can make that throw. Only Odell Beckham can make that catch, but in a losing effort. Eli played well in the second half, by the way. That's I'll nice give you that. That's nice. <laughs> After two picks in the first. <laughs> Let's move on. Looks right. Throws a bomb down the right side. Looking for Anderson. He's got it in stride. 20, 10, 5, touchdown. Robbie Anderson turns on the Jets, literally. And Josh McCown drops it right down the chimney. Yeah, he did, Bob Wischusen of uh, ESPN Radio. <laughs> is he Santa Claus? <laughs> Josh McCown. That's a tough throw, we'll get man. get to that in a second. Josh McCown threw a 69-yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson, and the Jets had no problem shutting down Jay Cutler, Jay Ajay, and the rest of the Miami Dolphins. A 26 win at MetLife Stadium. Uh, the Dolphins had two first downs in the first half. Uh, they scored their only points in, uh, of the game on the final play in garbage time. And the Jets' um, first win, you know, it might not help in the scam for Sam department, but I'll tell you what, I was real quiet in my mentions. No, Dolphins fans were nowhere to be found. <laughs> it always feels good to cut the fish. I mean, to the point where you send, I believe, a – Somewhat edgy text to a child who's under the age of ten. Yes, yeah, this, this handsome Hank's child. This so-called not rooting for the Jets to win thing from Hansis flies out the window for three hours every Sunday. It should be noted. Well, I'm a true fan. I yeah. have an eye on a bigger prize, but when I could take down the Dolphins in a big spot, I love it. Uh, let's, by the way, let's check in with my dad, who uh, who's had to deal with a lot of losing for the Jets in the last couple of years, and a nice win today. What's Keith got to say? His name is Keith. He's Dan's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Jets fan. What is he gonna say about the game today? What is he gonna say about the game today? This is Keith. Great victory by the Jets today. Outstanding defense all game, shut down the Dolphins. And the offense led by McGowan was outstanding. Uh, he had one of the best passing performances I've seen by a Jet quarterback in a long time. So it was a, a great victory defensively and offensively. So at least that's one win for the season. That's great. Bye. All right. That's Josh McCown's having a nice season, by the way. And they, they, they made the right decision to bring him on because 
Uh, he's he's doing what he has to do with that offense on the Dolphins side of the ball. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, this was a no show performance by the Dolphins and all the positive talk about it, you know, how they looked in week one. And, and anybody that thought this team is going to go back to the playoffs. This is a, a game was like, what is going on with this team? I don't know if there's a team that's more reliant on a running back right now than Miami. And when you take Jay Ajayi out of the mix the way they did today. And it's the kind of performance by the Jets' run defense that in years past you potentially could have expected. I wouldn't have this week. And with him out of the mix, it sounds like Jay Cutler was absolutely – they put the wood to Jay Cutler. Yeah, they had no problem keeping Cutler in check, and, and he was limited. Uh, he threw 44 passes for 220 yards through a pick. He was very mediocre. Um, and J.H.I. could not get moving, and which is surprising because the Jets had been getting gashed on the run in the first two weeks. Adam Gase, after the game, was, you know, predictably unhappy, very short with his answers, asking, you know, what did he say to his team? He said, there's nothing to say. Look at the scoreboard. You know, how can they jumpstart the offense? He's like, maybe score some points. Maybe get a first down. Like He, he is very upset, and you start to think about the where – on this team mentally, it's not making an excuse for them. It's a fact of what they went through uh, with the hurricane and then going on the West Coast and now going to New York and they're going from New York over to London. That's a tough way to start the season. And so this is kind of this is a circle the wagons week for the Dolphins in London. It's a big spot for them is all, is all yep. I'm saying. They yep. got to prove they got to prove that they can bounce back. And I'll tell you, because watching Josh McCown over the last two seasons on a bad Browns team that hidden away in his awful win-loss record, it couldn't have been any worse, mm. were Sundays like this where he made a couple throws where you realize this is an incredibly athletic guy. He's going to have a couple games where he spilled into nearly 400 yards in those seasons, and he's, and he's the kind of guy that's going to win you four or five games with the Jets. Well, I will see about that. They, well, I'm just saying, they, listen, they – Got to stay healthy. Well, he's also got to stay on the field, which he That's has fine, no ability they, to do. When you look at what Robbie Anderson is starting to develop, Jermaine Curse has looked mm. good with New York. I'm just saying, this is not necessarily the, the recipe for a 1-15 in season. Anyone slamming McCown this year hasn't watched the games. He played – I thought pretty well in the week one for three quarters and then had a complete meltdown. He was fine last week. And then you're talking this is like for three weeks on balance. He's far from the Jets. Exactly what they wanted uh, a professional quarterback on an inexperienced team. Uh, We'll see if he could stay on the field. Let's move on. Hold on to your hats. He's (laughs) done. That's our friend. That's uh, Kevin Harlan. Kevin Harlan of CBS, of course, and Westwood One Monday Night Football. But uh, <laughs> big play, Kareem Hunt struck again, and the Chiefs' defense made life miserable for Philip Rivers in a 24-10 win over the Los Angeles Chargers at the Stub. I'm, I'm going to say that. I'll try to get that. Guy. I think it works. <laughs> yeah, it's at the Stub. Alex Smith threw two more touchdowns on the Chargers have started their uncertain L.A. journey with three consecutive losses. Not ideal, Greg. No, they didn't look like a team that deserved to win. You know, you can usually come up with reasons, and yes, they were beating the Chiefs in terms of total yardage for much of the game, but ultimately the Chargers' defense shut down Kansas City for much of the game, including the entire second half until that hunt play, which was really the game was over at that point. 
and Philip Rivers kept getting the ball over and over, and they couldn't put up a point. This needed to be an offensive team, and ultimately they haven't scored enough. It was a bad Philip Rivers game, three interceptions in the first half, and then in the second half it was like he was a little on tilt. You know, just some passes that he normally makes were flying all over the place. And I mean, to be honest, we looked at the we looked at the television screen, and it looked like a massive turnout for Chiefs fans. That's the second week in a row where, if you're Philip Rivers, you're not playing in a place where it looks like the home field is going to make more, the home team is going to make more noise than the visitor week after week. And Anthony Lynn has got to be feeling it right now. You've lost two crushing games, and it's starting to go south from here. You can, with teams like that, at the start of the season, two terrible losses, then you get beat up on, it can start to snowball. Now the Chiefs are 3-0 and now, gentlemen. It was a one-score game. I wouldn't say beat up on for, until very late, but yeah, I hear you. All right. I mean, did I don't you know what feel... else you need to do on I, the road. I know you're a Chargers fan, but at any point, did you think the Chargers are going to win this game? I thought yes, because they they controlled Kansas City. They were playing pretty well on both sides of the ball. Like they were doubling them up in total yardage, and it was a one score game more or less the whole time. I thought they had a chance, but then it didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah, they were even in yards and time of possession. So, uh, but the better team figured out a way to get it done, and the Chiefs are now three and zero. Kareem Hunt, what else can you say? I mean, that last touchdown really juiced his numbers, but it's now three straight weeks where he's had a huge impact for the Chiefs. And if they end up being taking the next step and, and going from 12-4 and four or whatever to 13-3 and three or 14-2, Kareem Hunt joining the team and becoming a superstar, that can do that. He, he's special. Just his, ta- his balance, his ability to fight through tackles. Before we move on, I got to say, you don't mess with Marcus Peters. Back when... Keenan Allen called him a bum, I believe, a year ago. Every every time these teams faced since then, he's got this matchup circled. And Marcus Peters looked like the best cornerback in football today. Uh, he thrown seven times in his way, gave up three catches, only 20 yards in interception, a pass defense. He ate up Keenan Allen and whoever he was across the field from. And one last thing, two guys who I think are – Two last things at this point. That's Yeah, that's, that's cheating. <laughs> three last things. Go ahead. Last three. No weeks. defensive players are playing any better than Melvin Ingram and Justin three Houston, sacks. who are again outrageous. Both of them in making key plays in this game. Both have just been on fire. Well, when I was in the locker room last week, Melvin Ingram could not have been more downtrodden about that loss. I mean, I can't imagine where he was today. Uh, let's move on. And here, first and ten, Simeon under pressure, and he's intercepted again. It's picked off by Tre'Davious White. As Simeon making another terrible decision. Trevor Simeon was intercepted twice in the game's final 20 minutes. And Tyrod Taylor threw two touchdowns to lift the Bills to a 26-16 win over the Broncos in Western New York. Mark Sessler. The Bills uh, cooled off. Hashtag Team Trev. And won for the second time in three weeks. How about that? Well, any and we already felt this way, I think, about Buffalo. But a well-coached team with players playing out of their minds. This concept a couple weeks ago that they've tanked or that they're in position to because of roster deficiencies is utterly off the board at this point. This was a very impressive showing. Tyrod Taylor's best game all season and in quite a while against a defense that destroyed the Cowboys a week ago. And it was the Trevor Simeon game that I didn't quite expect to see. Not today. I think Buffalo is underrated as a tough place to go into and play, number one. But Simeon down the stretch... Two, his picks, right, I think, were off a very concerning decision-making. It, you know, it's it, 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 the floor fell in. And it started for me, even though Jamal Charles had a nice day on the ground, when C.J. Anderson isn't sort of the engine of that offense and he really struggled early on, that you're not going to get that same Broncos balanced attack. No, they need to 
win off their running game and defense. And neither one really neither showed up today. Really played yeah. that well. But I'm not shocked that the Bills' defense is showing up because you watch them and they're showing up every week. Tredavious White it looks like a great first-round pick. He flashed in the first uh, two weeks. Uh, I think they found something in your old boy Jordan Poyer. Kind of a random pickup from, from the Browns. It, it's interesting that the Panthers – Always used to pick up random guys and make them work in the secondary, and now here's Sean McDermott doing it in Buffalo. I mean, don't this loss is not on the Broncos' defense. I know Von Miller, Mark, maybe could shine a light on that. Uh, he put the loss on him uh, based on a personal foul he had uh, late in the game. Um, that was huge, and yeah. it, it was it was a it was a drive that allowed Buffalo. You know, they were up twenty three to sixteen to punch in a field goal, you know, minutes later after Von Miller basically had a penalty. It was a unsportsmanlike conduct call where after sacking Tyrod Taylor cleanly, he reached his hand down to as a gesture to kind of pick him up, mm-hmm. but then pulled the hand away. Kind of a prank or a joke, and it would have seemed more offensive except for the fact that Tyrod Taylor was up and laughing about it. And then the ref threw the flag mm-hmm. and it extended the drive and I mean, there were other things that happened. Tyrod Taylor on that same drive had an incredible scramble where he was essentially, with, with, with Broncos players buzzing around him, fell down and was untouched and got back up and ran seven yards to move the chains. I mean, it was a gutsy final drive by the Bills offense. Let, let this be a reminder, this game. And I know the Bills didn't light it up. They only had 272 yards of total offense. They weren't perfect. But leave Tyrod Taylor alone. Let Tyrod Taylor just lead the team. Don't... If you're a fan in the stands, you're not going to have some magic elixir on the bench coming in to to outperform him. If you're People the people want a Nathan Peterman, yeah. If you're well, the, a lot of fans, yeah, not yet. Nathan, I couldn't Nathan, agree more. If it, yeah, maybe you can. Maybe he is better. But Tyrod Taylor is perfectly fine, and you're off to a nice start. And the guy makes plays. I know he's not perfect, but not a lot of quarterbacks are. And that came with Lashawn McCoy rushing for 21 yards off 14 carries after a bad week two. Four touchdowns this year. One interception, obviously a factor in the running game, over seven yards per attempt. He started out this season very solid week to week. Let's head. uh... Who had this one? Well, I did. And in fact, to the point where anyone, when I've locked, I I have never apparently won a lock in September. (laughs) So I don't know why I'm even allowed to participate in this at this point. But it's very clear that Broncos fans were annoyed that I did lock it up last week. You're not going to be alone, and as everyone Uh, will find out soon enough. But I do, I I have to track this, Mark. The Browns are 0-3. Your locks are 0-3. The Giants, your NFC Super Bowl team, are 0-3. And the Chargers, your AFC Super Bowl team, are over. Yes, but I did, going not for- mis- I did not mistakenly start a nuclear war between Russia and Norway, <laughs> so I have that. <laughs> I, at this point, wouldn't you almost want to go just 0-16 on Absolutely. some level? Absolutely. It's so much harder to go to not win anything would be very hard. That would be amazing. Let's move on. <laughs> he looks. He lobs it up down the middle looking for Mercedes Lewis. Makes the catch into the end zone. Touchdown, Jacksonville. Blake Bortles threw four touchdowns, including a trio of strikes to Mercedes Lewis to lead the Jacksonville Jaguars to an obscenely thorough 44-7 win over the Baltimore Ravens in the kickoff of the International Series from Wembley Stadium in London. Hi to all our London listeners and England listeners. Uh, Greg, make sense of this blowout. Make sense of anything in this world. (laughs) I can't other than... At their best, the Jaguars' defense is going to stop 
a limited offense. That certainly happened today. But I don't want to hear all this crying like I saw on Twitter at 6.50 in the morning about, oh, well, they're missing Marshall Yonda. Marshall Yonda didn't give up four touchdowns to Blake Bortles. Marshall Yonda didn't give up 220 yards passing in the first half to Blake Bortles. This game was over by the end of the first quarter. The Jaguars' offense did whatever they wanted to do against a Ravens defense, which we thought was among the very best in the league. And, yeah, okay, you're missing Brandon Williams. That's that's one key component. You do not expect the Jaguars to be able to throw the ball on you. Bortles was efficient, maybe not as good as his numbers suggest. Uh, He was very good, but it was really a a total team effort. Great play calling, great protection, great running game. Like, everything was working. I guess for me, it's like you can watch coming into this two weeks of game tape and draw conclusions, and you should because you just keep doing that and compile them as as the season goes on. But I woke up and it was like, 23 to nothing, and I thought, I've definitely, this is not real. I've woken up in a parallel universe. This is a complete mess. Yeah, Erica, hit, hit me. Go ahead, hit me. Give me the sound. <laughs> and you know what? You're not alone. Headed out to West, too. He did the same thing. <laughs> and you know what? Screw it. Headed out to Greg and Mark because they, they ripped me for saying this was too easy. No, that's, that's not how the game works. No, you knew this spin was coming because we got this from Dan downstairs. He quickly Ridic- shifted downstairs. Ridiculous spin. It, 44 to 7. Uh, for uh, shame. The best part is how upset you guys are. Um, no, I mean, make sense of it. That, well, that's you are saying. right, because we utterly, in every possible way, dismissed Jacksonville as an entity on Thursday's preview show. We all did. You guys were saying it was too easy. Wes and I saying it was such an easy win. Like, it was, from all angles, we had this game covered as a one-sided effort. I mean, and I don't know how to make sense of it. The Ravens' defense, we were singing praises for, and they get lit up. Joe Flacco ends up the, on the bench, and you have to be asking questions about Joe Flacco again. Like, is he a guy that's going to be able to lead this it, Ravens team t- effectively? I don't know. I think I thought Flacco played well last week, too, when I went back and watched that. I was like, okay, no worries about Flacco moving a little better. I don't think it was all on Flacco by any means. It it was Wallace and Perriman have been terrible for that team, dropping passes, not on the same page as Flacco, but he was 8 for 18. 52 team yards passing. With 28 yards and two interceptions. That is about as bad of a stat line. And in terms of making sense, well, number one, it's impossible to predict anything. I mean – Seasons are inherently going to be way more unpredictable than we think, and there's no certainty, especially early in the season. you got to let it develop and just see. And now this is two games out of three where the Jaguars have waxed the other team, yeah. and you have to give a lot of credit to Calais Campbell and A.J. Bouye and some pickups that they've made. I mean, these guys have come in and made monster impacts. Bouye and Ramsey's two interceptions of Flacco were outrageously good plays, less about a bad throw by Flacco. London will try to give you a better game down the line. But uh, Jaguars, you got to see At least he got some points. Yeah, he, got he got some, some highlights. Points. Let's move on. <laughs> he throws, caught by T.Y. at the 50, 45, down to the 40. Cuts back in, 35, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, T.Y. Bob Lamy, WFNI. Jacoby Brissett ran for a pair of touchdowns and had that big connection. Ooh, slice me off a piece of that Jake brisket to T.Y. Hilton to lead the Colts to a 31-28 win over the Cleveland Browns. Um, Mark, uh, first of all, Browns now 0-3, 1-18 in the Hugh Jackson era. And my question to you, we'll get to the Browns in a second, but did the Colts save their season with their trade for Jake Brisket? Yeah, honestly, he's given you, over the course of three weeks, much more than you would have gotten from Philip Dorsett. 
no way around it, especially if Scott Tolzien were a quarterback. You were waiting to find out. Sure. I mean, with T.Y. More than Hilton, Tolzien, that's for sure, too. Much more than Tolzien. That's what I'm saying. Like, So T.Y. Hilton, who really, you know, one of the big victims of Andrew Luck being sidelined, absolutely new performance today. And him and Brissett, man, they Brissett can run. He gashed Cleveland on the ground for a couple scores. When they thought they, you know, clamped down in the secondary, he just moves in space. And Hilton absolutely torched Cleveland's secondary. Big concerns for Cleveland's defense, but honestly, the Colts, they I don't know what their long-term status will be in this season. I don't think overall they're a, a special team by any stretch, but Brissett did this for New England last year. He won a game that they needed before Tom Brady came back, and you look at what he did today. I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see him keep them competitive until luck returns. And, and there was mo- movement on that front for the first time in a long time this morning with a couple – national reports, including from Ian Rappaport. One specifically targeted uh, week six as a possible return. I think that was from ESPN. Mm. And Ian was a, a little more vague that maybe he's going to be returning to practice fairly soon and, and start ramping up. So Brissett has looked totally different this season, I think, than that Texans game or even what we saw in the preseason of the Patriots. He's been pretty impressive in two weeks. If, yep. they, if they can get to whenever Andrew Luck comes back in decent shape, which is, to me, 500, uh, you know, maybe a game below, something around there, giving them a chance with their franchise quarterback, I mean... I think it's going to be tough. Their their front office will deserve a lot of credit for you know, realizing that that Tolzien was going to they were going to need another option. And then Jake Prescott, you know, he almost get, you start to think is this guy deserves a look somewhere else where he might be able to compete for a starting job. Well, there's a lot more football to play before then, uh, but a very nice start there uh, for uh, Jake. Uh, let's move on. Takes some turns, sticks it in the belly of the back. Here's Jordan Howard left of the 10. Howard five turns up field. He is in. Is he in for the touchdown? Yes. Touchdown. Touchdown Bears. Referees <laughs> never threw their hands up. Jordan Howard had a clear sail into the end zone for the game winner. 19 yards. There it is. Jeff Joniak, WBBM. Jordan Howard's 19-yard run in overtime. That was the difference for the Chicago Bears, who overcame an all-time gaffe by cornerback Marcus Cooper before halftime to defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers 23-17 at Soldier Field. Uh, the Steelers' offense... Uh, was pedestrian once again, Greg, and the Bears showed once again why they shouldn't be considered a pushover by anybody. No, they could be 2-1 and one with home wins over the Steelers and the Falcons mm, if sure. Jordan Howard had held on to it. And they did it with old, you know, Foxball. Eight runs. <laughs> Sexy. Eight runs of 13 yards or more. That 13, coincidentally, it was the longest run that the Steelers had. So... They ran the ball down the Steelers' throat, and they stopped the run, and that's Foxball. And on the flip side... <laughs> you make it sound a lot better than it actually No, I don't because... enjoy Foxball, but it's Foxball's well, dream. Who's more fun to watch you know, in that division than Tariq Cohen right now? And Jordan Howard, who, who seemed like he was getting phased out a little bit by Cohen? No, they use them both. 38 rushing attempts. Meanwhile, you're hiding Mike Glennon as best you can. 
Just 22 I passes. 100 yards. 101 so, I mean, yards come on. 22. Tariq, they won this game twice, by the way. I don't. I didn't see any replay. I know they ruled Tariq Cohen out of bounds on the field, and then right. it gets into that, that tricky area. It's like, well, you have to have you know irrefutable evidence. Well, to me, the irrefutable evidence was I didn't see any part of his foot touching that white line, which wiped out a really special touchdown uh, for Cohen. So I was actually happy to see the Bears then close out the game a few minutes later. Uh, they they won this game, and it, and. It, Talked about this um, on the end around this week about how the Steelers and you look at their schedule, what they have coming up. They still haven't hit their stride on offense. Le'Veon Bell, 15 for 61. Uh, 282 yards total. Yeah. Yep. Antonio Brown is always going to get his production, but another quiet game for Martavis Bryant. Um, You know what? Their schedule is pretty tough coming ahead. You might have to wait to the second half of the season before it loosens up and you could start seeing them putting up the numbers we were expecting. But then by then, is that core four guys going to even be on the field together? Because we know they've they've struggled. The Steelers have not gotten it going, so they're they're fortunate to be two and one. Well, they play the Ravens next week, which becomes a huge game. And it's does anyone want to win the AFC North? They're zero and four today as a division. And I am concerned about Big Ben. I am concerned about Le'Veon Bell. But I also feel like it's a team that a month from now, even a week from now, we they could explode at any moment. Yeah, what what NFL team? There aren't many are just looking like the same team week after week. Like the Falcons so far, you, know, you pretty much know what you're getting, even though their games are close. Like teams are figuring themselves out. But I do think it's worth at least mentioning, and I have been as big a Big Ben fan as anyone, that you were banging me. Uh, well, that was phrasing there. Excuse me? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you were getting check, on. Checks out. You were that getting on out. me for Philip Rivers. Staking identity, Greg. <laughs> you were getting uh, on me. That's right. For showing, for say, for not admitting that there's a little Philip Rivers decline going on right now, or when he's struggling, not admitting. I don't think that's happening. Eli Manning certainly has been in a little bit of decline. Ben Roethlisberger has not played as well now over the last season and three games as. I believe the level of his play had been before that. And he's he's up there in years. He does he certainly doesn't make as many special out of the pocket crazy plays as before. And and I don't think he's played at his best this season. That's I'm it. with you. I still think it could flip around. Oh, Mac Brown is now the back. They fake it to him. Cousins going deep down the right sideline, and it's pulled in, and into the end zone goes Dotson for a touchdown. Josh Dotson, I remember you. What? How dare you? (laughs) All right, like it. How dare you, Tamposi? I am hosting here. (laughs) I like that a lot. Carry. Much appreciated by Luke Gr- getting back at you. Sounds good, though. Carrie's voice sounded better than ever this season. I just thought you'd feel left out. Like, it doesn't happen to you often. Yeah, no, you know? No. It's, uh, the only problem He's is flustered. The show has come have, to a screeching halt. It doesn't, Way to go. <laughs> it doesn't affect me because I love Carrie Underwood. That's the whole thing. You get Mark, you, you might not ever see him again if you hit Mark with it. It's a poisonous song. She... She's about as rude as uh, you know a group of Rosenthal's sitting down at the dinner table, just cutting each other off.
Josh Dotson, there you are, buddy. A 52-yard touchdown reception. Kirk Cousins played out of his mind. Statistically, 25 of 30, 365, three touchdowns and a pass rating of 150.7. My goodness, the Raiders no match. A 27-10 win for the Washington Redskins, who improved to 2-1. and one, And all of a sudden, all that talk about the doomsday of Washington and how terrible they looked uh, throughout the summer and then week one, all gone. Greg, the Raiders. What are we doing here? We go. They got a couple. They got some points in garbage time, or not some points. They moved the ball a little bit in garbage time. But going into their last possession that no one cares about, they had 95 total yards. 95. They had five first downs. This is the this is the Raiders. What happened? In well, this game? let's just get this out of the way and give me the sad horn right off the bat. <laughs> we got the collar. That's an 0 for 4. As a group, we know nothing. And of all the shocking... <laughs> Good news is nobody else knows anything either. As Of all the shocking results on a shocking Sunday, I contend that the Raiders getting their fifth first down of the game with five minutes to go in Washington was the single most shocking. Not just that the Redskins went up and down the field. Okay, we know, we know that they're capable of that. But that this Redskins defense which was short a couple players and didn't have a lot going into the game to make you feel like they're special, absolutely destroyed what I believed was the most dynamic offense in the league. It it was wild. Yeah, I mean, we have to find out very soon if this was an aberration on a day full of potential aberrations or if the fact that Derek Carr looked completely off all night long Amari Cooper, one catch for six yards. Marshawn Lynch totally shut down the formula that over the last two weeks looks super solid. Totally crumbled I, against a team that we had dismissed. If I had to guess, it's a, a blip on the radar. I'm not going to make too much of it. Sometimes teams I agree. have bad nights, and the Raiders had a bad night. But you're right, Derek Carr, there, there was a play near the end where he was uh, deliriously trying to call timeout and didn't get granted. Then, then when they showed the replay, he's rolling out right before throwing it out of bounds. You could see the look in his eyes like, oh, this is just one of those days. He could, could not wait to get back in the locker room. And I'm, I'm sure you see Marshawn at the end of the game sitting on the sideline. No dancing today for Beast Mode. It was just a long night for the Oakland I don't Raiders. know if it's an aberration, though, when you see how this defense, this Raiders defense, was utterly controlled. Chris Thompson. 150 yards through the air, dynamic player number one. But, I mean, Washington had their way down the stretch. They ran the ball at will. They were throwing screen passes that were blowing up against the secondary. It was embarrassing, an embarrassing loss. Yeah, I don't think – I think the Raiders over the last few years have consistently made mental errors and been confused in terms of what they're doing on defense, where these big plays, like you shouldn't be giving up 100-plus yards on screen passes for the night, but that's what happened. Lots of yards after the catch, uh, that's what happened. The thing, if you're a Redskins fan, to feel like that we can do this every week, this running game is starting to look for real. And Bill Callahan, who is on that coaching staff, wherever he goes has a big-time effect and they are tough to deal with. So if you got a power running game with Kirk Cousins kind of, you know, just managing the game, that's two straight weeks. That Rams win looks even better, I think, now. Two and one, they have to be very yeah. happy after a poor week one. I mean, to go Owen, oh, when you're the Raiders with the weapons they have and the way we felt about them even five hours ago, to go 0 oh, for 11 on third down, I just – this I don't know if this is an aberration in the sense that there are very few teams you can count on from week to week. We found that out today. And maybe the Raiders are not this automatic 13-3 and contraption. I, see, I – 
I'm not going to go too crazy about it. I mean, the defense maybe. The offense is going to be fine, I think. There's too many weapons. It's it, just it was a terrible I don't night. like they their offensive line. Night. Their offensive line which you can control, which you seem They were on fire the first 2 weeks. They got controlled tonight. It, it that was ma- among many shocking things seeing Carr hit 6 times sack four times. It was just the level of the beatdown. It could it could have been 44 to 7 like the London game, this was just as big a, a beatdown, really, as that game. And then they go to the Raiders, go to Denver next week, so that'll be another challenge the for big them. one. Come home to face the Ravens, and the Ravens to uh, tie it up, tie a, uh, put a nice little bow on it, the team that we were all so high on, on, on going into this week, and they got waxed by the Jaguars. So this was the week uh, where if anybody thinks – they're football geniuses. Uh, watch the NFL today. Everything is still coming together. We're trying to figure out who's who and what's what. It's hard to say. couple uh, program notes. First off, this was our 600th episode. Oh. How about that? Unlike unlike Mark, you know, going third person to talk about his Saints pick. We're not, there we go. We're not usually, you know, a big self-congratulatory crew, so not a big celebration. 600 episodes. <laughs> uh, Greg snuck that in there. As, as a foursome. Uh Mark uh, is like the least self congratulatory <laughs> guy, so I felt like that's a really a joke. Nice achievement, and uh, uh, coincidentally, Sheck also had his 600th uh, episode uh, last week. So uh, the two mainstays of the podcast Where's group. Where's the sticks at? That's pretty cool. Shepherding logs, you mean? <laughs> Shepherding logs episode Ooh. what? Ooh. I don't know. I'm not tracking on that. We'll have to check. Okay. Sully's behind the glass. Maybe he has the answers. Um, also, Greg, you had something you wanted to say. Oh, I wanted to give a nice shout out to one of our listeners and a follower on Twitter, UK Clark Griswold, who went to the London game and with his beautiful family and brought a po- a big poster up of Chris Wesseling that said the mailman is back and posted some great pictures. You should check it out on his Twitter account. Chris and I both retweeted. It's on Instagram, too. They, you know, they're with Jackson DeVille. He's running a 40-yard dash. They, you know, they're all excited going to the game. I, it was, Jackson DeVille is the Jaguars mascot. Yeah, sorry. Everyone should know that. <laughs> a little uh, too familiar there, maybe, for some people. I don't know. It's one of the coolest. Yeah, our fans do a lot of cool things, but to me, that really stuck out as one of the coolest things anyone's ever done. Absolutely. We hope to have uh, Wes back on Tuesday with us, uh, and that's it. And finally, Erica, uh, give us a TV show that, that you like. I love Big Little Lies on HBO. Excellent program. Stranger Things is amazing. Westworld is Meh. a – what? I, I like Westworld. It got, got a – I got a little, a little redundant, a little, a little tiresome, a little bit. Over. A little worrisome. She needed like three hours to come up with this answer. She's you downstairs. Put, you put me on the spot. Furiously yeah. searching cool TV shows. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Is this how, the way New England pe- people that's treat exactly, each other? Yeah, I tweeted out a poll actually to vote like what would make me look the coolest. All right, so there you go. That is the answer. Those are the answers you were waiting for. We will be back on Tuesday where we will recap the Monday night uh, football showdown between who, Mark? Gotcha. What's happening to the Cowboys and the Cardinals? All right, there you go, Cowboys and Cardinals. I was off in my own world. And uh, that, of course, will be our video show. If you want to check out our video stuff, NFL.com slash ATN videos. We're also going to go shoot um, Pick'em in, in a bar, all of us. Our NFL Pick'em show, we which are. it might turn out to be our last. Uh, <laughs> just trusting us to go into a bar together. Never. Well, or listen, if you need someone to come in and nail a series of NFL picks, you found that crew right here. So you got it. It's must-watch TV. Maybe getting drunk would help. We'll see. All right. This is uh, Dan Hansa signing off. For Quiet Storm, the old boss, and the loose cannon behind the glass. 
Week three, and what a weird week it was. In the books, we move on. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.